0: We're continuing our look at the book of Colossians, and today we start chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Colossians 3, and we're going to be talking about the fact that that there's a new life we've been blessed with. We've been made into new people, new life, new you. This is what it says in Colossians 3, starting with verse 1. Take a look at this together with me. It says this. It says, "'If then you have been raised with Christ,' After the image of its creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that you've given us today to be able to take a look at it together. And we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture, that you'd help us to understand it, that you'd help us to grow from it, that you'd help us to realize. That, Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, we have been made into brand new people. You've given us a new identity. It's not based on any of the things of this world. It's based on who your Son is and, and, and ultimately who you're making us to be as, as we conform to his image. So, Lord, we're just so grateful for the privilege to be able to do so, and we're grateful for this time that we have the privilege to study your word in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. So I think a common experience that many of us have when we're growing up is the experience of, of trying to figure out who we are while also trying to attempt to carve out some sense of identity. And I could think of several seasons during the course of my youth where, where that was definitely the case for me. And even during the course of this week when I was thinking about that concept, a couple examples of that uh, just came to my mind. And, and one of them was in, actually in regard to my handwriting. I actually remember looking at my handwriting when I was in sixth grade, and I looked at it and I thought, I don't like the way I write. I don't like my penmanship. And so I sat there, and this is like you know, a season of life where obviously I had a lot more time than I have now, but I decided during that season, I thought, you yeah, I'm just going to change the way I write. And so I looked at all the letters and I decided, all right, how do I want to make them like kind of my way? What, what's my way going to be? And so I, I decided to do that and I started just kind of practicing it because we had to do a lot of writing in school. And before I knew it, I had changed the way I wrote. And I thought, good, that, that looks more grown up now. You know, it looks more like a grown up way uh, of writing. And so uh, and it impacts my penmanship to this day. Uh, I remember going through another season of life, not long after that, maybe just a year or two after that, that was primarily characterized. And I'm so glad, by the way, that before I described this, I know I've described it to some of you before. I'm so glad that this, that this happened before everybody had a camera in their pocket. Uh, Before everybody was walking around with the cell phone, there's really not a ton. There's only a little bit of uh, photograph evidence of this. But I went through a seasonal life that was characterized by long hair, always wearing my favorite rock bands on t shirts, always wearing ripped jeans. And and I thought that looked great. You know, I thought that's who I was going to be. Like, I, I was a wannabe. Rock star in seventh grade. You know, like I, I just idolized these guys. And that season also seemed to be characterized by less friends and less respect from others. And so the following year, I went in a completely different direction. I was like, all right, that didn't work. I, st- I still like the music, but I was like, that didn't work. So uh, I cut my hair nice and short, and I bought a whole bunch of, of nice clothing. And then I attempted to reestablish all the friendships that I had alienated. In the previous year, and that kind of worked a little bit. But what was I doing in each of those moments? And and probably, you know, in moments that are similar in your life, what were you doing? I was in the process of trying to carve out an identity. I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was like. And the process of trying to carve out some sense of an identity—that's not just something we only attempt when we're young. We don't just attempt that in middle school or elementary school or or in high school. Uh, In fact, I. You know, at this season of life that I'm at right now, I have several friends that are actually attempting to do that right now. Uh, a friend of mine recently just quit a longstanding career, and he's trying to get established from the ground up in a brand new career. And I hope it works out well for him, but he, he's put himself in, in a spot that definitely requires him to kind of step out on faith here. He's really switching it up, but he's it's in a sense, he's trying to carve out a little bit of a new identity. I have another friend who, over the course of last year, Lost 120 pounds. Lost 120 pounds. He looks drastically different, but you could admit, like, you know, he's pretty excited about the the changes that he's made. He feels pretty excited about it. He he looks really good. And I bring these examples up because there's something illustrated and something spoken of in Colossians chapter three that fits with this kind of concept. Because in this passage, we're told about the new life. And the new identity that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ, because Christ has given us a brand new way to think, He's given us a brand new way to live, He's given us a brand new way to treat each other, and in this passage we see a powerful demonstration of what, actually what it looks like to be a new person in Jesus. And I want to give you several examples of what's talked about here in Colossians 3 that help illustrate this. But one of the things about this new life that we've been given in Christ or this new identity we've been given in Christ is, first of all, we've given up an earthly way of thinking. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about here. He talks about the fact that, that in Christ we can give up an earthly way of thinking. Let me reread the first few verses here. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ... "'Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God.'" And then he says, "'Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory.'" Now, think about those words for just a second. Let me ask this. Do you have someone in your life that you would say is pretty much, most of the time you talk to them, they seem to be complaining? Do you have anyone in your life that tends to be a complainer? By the way, if you can't think anyone, it might be you. Um, but our family is friends with someone who starts, and we've noticed this pattern. She starts almost every conversation with a complaint, and we've now categorized her complaints. She complains about three primary things. She either complains about the weather, she, or if she's not complaining about the weather, she complains about her job, and we've also noticed there's one other category that she complains about, the Philadelphia Eagles, right? America's team. I do see that, I see that Steelers jacket, Rick, and that's fine, you know, we can be, we can be brothers. During World War II, you know, our teams merged for a season, so, so we're friends, but she complains about the Eagles, the weather, or her job, and I think it's fair to say that she sees most things from a negative perspective. And in many ways, when I think about it, I actually think it helps demonstrate the fact that there's a lack of long-term hope in her heart, the fact that the primary conversations that come out of her mouth are really just steeped in complaint. Well, one of the great benefits that we get to experience through faith in Jesus Christ is a brand new way to think. Now, all throughout the Bible, you have the Lord demonstrating that He's offering us a new mind, and with that new mind comes a brand new focus— We don't need to be negative. We don't need to be hopeless. We don't need to adopt an earthly way of looking at things because we've now been given the ability to see things as they are above, a heavenly perspective that's given to us as our eyes are opened and our minds are transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. And here in this portion of Scripture, you have Paul describing a few things, and he uses the nature of Christ's resurrection, to give us a good mental picture of how the Lord's trying to lift up our minds and lift up our perspectives, to give us a new way to think. Just as Christ's body was raised from death, the Scripture illustrates here that our minds are lifted up in the same way as we trust in Christ. So our thinking was earthly. Our thinking was down in the dirt until Jesus lifted us up. And with a new perspective, we can begin seeing things that have eternal value instead of wasting our thinking and wasting our lives, just focusing on things that are just destined to decay. Now, a while back, I I read a story of a group of thieves in Mexico, and I wish I could remember all the details of it, but I do remember the crux of it. It It's a group of thieves in Mexico, and they had just stolen a, a, a significant amount of gold. And they took this gold, and they were running. They had been caught, or they had been seen, and so they were running. And in order to escape... Some of them decided that they would run with that gold into a body of water and when they ran into that body of water they still refused to let go of the gold. They were so focused on the earthly treasure that they had in their hands that they refused to let it go even though it was weighing them down. And they ended up drowning. And I and when I read that I thought, boy, what a what a vivid example of what it looks like to have your mind so consumed on earthly things that you would give up breathing for gold. The gold does you no good in two seconds. And that's what they chose. That's what they gave up. So for us, if we're going to live out what's spoken of here in Colossians chapter 3, if we have this new identity in Christ, this new life in Christ, this new way of thinking, what does it look like for you and for me in our context right now to set our minds on things that are above what does that look like for us? And by the way, please notice that that's not a passive activity as Paul's describing it here. It's a volitional act. It's something that we, we decide to do. It's something we, we participate in because Christ enables us to facilitate this, or he's facilitating it within us, but he enables us to participate in this. So this is something we actively participate in doing as we, as we set our minds on things above I think it involves at least three things, maybe a few more, but three things stand out to me when I think about how this works out. I think one of the things that that it involves is praying for God's wisdom. If you and I are going to set our minds on things above, I think we need to pray for God's wisdom. We need to be able to see things from God's perspective. We need His wisdom to counteract the wisdom of this world. I also think we need to intentionally plan what information we consume. My wife and I, even just last night, we were watching something, and then afterward, we're like, you know what? Um... We're, we're, not, we're not comfortable with the direction that's going, and so even though that was like mostly enjoyable, we're just going to say no on that. We're going to put the veto filter on that. Because I think that as believers, we need to be very intentional about the things that we consume, because the things that go into your mind come out in your life one way or another. And I also think it involves surrounding ourselves with people who, who inspire our faith, I try and be very intentional to surround myself with people that will have a positive influence on me, people that will encourage me in my faith. You've often heard me say that I've noticed, you know, certain areas where I feel like the Lord has, has made me strong and certain areas where I could tell I'm not really gifted. And one of the areas that I, I've often noticed throughout the years, and this is probably a weird thing for a pastor to say, um, but I don't feel like by nature, I'm a terribly merciful person. I, I, can't, I want to be, but I know that people, some people notice mercy needs way quicker than I do. And I think, boy, they just pick up on that instinctively. The Lord designed them to see that. So what I've decided to do surround myself with merciful people so that that will rub off on me so that I will become at least a little bit better in that category because I notice that that's sometimes an area of deficiency in the way my mind tends to work. So I think we need to pray for the wisdom of God, be intentional about the information that we're consuming, surround ourselves with people who ultimately lift us up. And here you have Scripture telling us to set our mind on things above the wisdom we possess, the information we consume, the people we associate with, it's all going to have an impact on the way we think. So if we want to give up an earthly way of thinking, it's wise to take a look at all three. And then Paul goes a little bit further here. And I like passages like this because they're helpful and they're confrontational. I think sometimes for things to be helpful, they have to be a little bit confrontational. But look at what he says in verses 5 through 8, because he starts talking about this idea here in a very practical way, saying, look, you've got to stop feeding the desires of your old nature. Look at how he phrases it when you look at verse 5 and the verses immediately following it. He says in very stark language. He says, "...put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire." and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them but now so notice the change he says but now you must put them all away you no know, saying don't don't make this part of your life any longer put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth Now, I mentioned earlier that I have a friend who recently lost 120 pounds. I want to make mention of something because this was a key component for him in that process. A key component in his weight loss was a change in the food that he consumed. He changed what he ate and he changed how much he was eating. And he would admit that much of the eating that he was doing was being done to satisfy an emotional need. It wasn't because he wasn't eating to satisfy a physical need. He was satisfying an emotional need. He was using food like a drug, and he kept using it like a drug. It became an addiction that needed some intervention, and so he got some help, and the help that he got seems to have worked. And I was thinking about that when looking at the words that Paul says in this passage, because when Paul talks about putting to death the cravings of our old nature, he's instructing us here, stop feeding those passions. Stop feeding those things. So those cravings tend to root deeply in the lives of those who are, who are using them to satisfy an emotional need. And if we keep feeding those cravings, what we're doing is we're enabling them to grow stronger and stronger. So if you feed sexual immorality to satisfy an emotional need, here's what's going to happen. It will have mastery over you. If you feed covetousness, it will have mastery over you. If you feed any evil desire, you're enabling it to control your life. And on a spiritual level, you're making it into an idol. We worship whatever has mastery over us. And so Paul is encouraging us here to put these things to death, meaning stop feeding these passions. Now, before we met Jesus... This was how we lived. But now that we have Christ, we don't have to return to our old patterns, and we don't have to return to our old practices. And as we walk in the light of Christ, we'll enjoy a a renewed and refreshed perspective as well. So here he talks about anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscenity and, and all these other character traits that used to define us. But those things no longer need to define us. Those no longer need to be things that define the kind of lives that we're living. New life, new you. We've been given a new life in Christ. We're made completely new in Christ, and we don't need to bow our knees to the idolatries of our old old life. And Paul's challenging us here. He's saying, listen, put these things to death. Don't keep feeding them. And I think, you know, a lot of times, so over the past 25 years since I've been pastoring, I've done a lot of counseling. And here's what I've noticed. There are people that that will at times come to me because they're struggling with one of the things that we've mentioned here. And for some of them, it lasts a very long time, and they feel like they just can't overcome whatever category they've allowed to take root in their life. And then there are others who experience great victory in these areas. And you know what it always comes down to? Are you going to nurture it and feed it, or are you going to starve it to death? Are you going to nurture it, or are you going to starve it? Are you going to put it to death using the power of God? Are you going to rely on Christ to satisfy the needs of your soul, or are you going to keep nurturing, feeding, and hiding some of these secret sins and these secret areas of temptation that you've been using to fill an emotional void? And those that expose those things to the light and stop feeding them they're the ones that experience victory. And so here you have the Apostle Paul saying, listen, put these things to death. Don't keep feeding them. And that's a challenge for the people living during the era in which he wrote these things, but it's also a challenge for you and I living right now because we're in the same exact boat. And he says, look, look at, you know, it's, he, and then he, he shows us the effect that Christ will have on our lives, even in regard to our relationships, because we start living with honesty and authenticity when Christ is our Lord, instead of living a duplicitous life where we're trying to hide our secret sin or cover for things that don't, involve in our li- uh, that don't belong in our lives. I like what he says here in Colossians 3.9. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's not you anymore. You don't need to live a duplicitous life So each week, just to give you a glimpse into my morning schedule, uh, early on Tuesday mornings, I meet online with uh, a group of business and ministry leaders. It's a very interesting, very eclectic group because you have ministry leaders, you have business leaders serving in, in different capacities, and for the past couple years, we've decided to meet online. We do this every Tuesday morning, first thing in the morning. And what we do is we try and sharpen one another. We try and ask each other difficult questions. Uh, We try and offer ideas and solutions to different problems that each of us happens to be dealing with. And we purposely meet each other, people from different parts of the country. We purposely meet with each other online because neither of us is living in each other's world. So we're able to give very objective advice. And it tends to be very helpful. The majority of people in that group are believers, but there are several in the group that are not, at least not yet. And not long ago, one of the members who had been wrestling with a bunch of issues of faith, he noticed that I wasn't getting upset with something that he said would have upset him. And so he asked me about it. And he said, I never see you get angry or upset on these calls. So I'm curious to know what upsets you. That's what you want to know. Now, that can be a dangerous thing to tell somebody, because what if they use that against you, right? He's like, I want to know what upsets you. And so I replied to him, I said, all right, look, I definitely do get upset, but the things that we talk about on these calls don't rise to that level. This isn't the type of conversation that you're going to somehow see me visibly upset. And he's like, all right, well, what is it? So what upsets you? Maybe I shouldn't tell you guys, I don't know. I know some of you, you're the same group of people that threw snowballs at me a couple months ago, so I kind of know, I know who you are. Uh, but, but he asked again, he said, how can, how can we make you angry? And I said, all right. It's actually very simple. If you want to see a different side of me, lie to me. Lie to me. And I said to him, I said, it'll change the nature of our relationship. You'll probably see a side of me that, that you won't like very much, because that's actually something that I've just noticed about myself. I find it very difficult to put up with. I find it very difficult to put up with that. And so, and in many respects, I've just chosen, I don't want to put up with it, so I don't, right? Although I guess maybe sometimes I do, but, but how, like, how could you have relationship with anybody if they're lying to you? Or what else, if they lie to you about something small, what else would they lie to you about if their conscience isn't troubled by that? And so I've just discovered over the course of my life that I don't have a lot of patience for dishonesty, and I, I look at this scripture here, and, it, and you, here you have Paul saying, do not lie to one another. We've put off the old self with its practices. We as believers in Christ should not be known for speaking falsehood, because we've been created in the image of God. And it's, it's interesting. Do you, ever, do you ever have somebody try and stump you with this question? Is there anything God can't do? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but just try and answer this in your head. Is there anything God can't do? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we think, like, God can do anything, right? Do you think God can do everything? Is there anything God can't do? Is it a trick question? Do you know Scripture actually reveals the answer to us? Do you know there's actually something God can't do? Isn't this a weird thought? Do you know there's something you can do that God can't do? Is that a weird way to say it? You know what it is? Scripture tells us it's impossible for God to lie impossible is impossible. It'd be a violation of his very nature. It's impossible for God to lie. It's in Hebrews chapter six, verse 18. It's impossible for God to lie. He is the perfection of truth. And when he observes the lives and when he observes the lips of his children, he doesn't want to see the prevalence of dishonesty because he detests lying lips tells us that in Proverbs 12, 22. Our new life in Christ is empowered to be honest. You and I, are, we're empowered in Christ to be honest. We're empowered to be authentic. We don't need to lie to one another. We also, by the way, don't need to lie to ourselves because we've been empowered to put off our old self, like Paul's talking about here. We don't have to live like we once lived. We've been given a new life. Scripture also tells us that Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. But then Scripture also tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So as followers of Christ, our native tongue should not be a tongue of dishonesty. And we shouldn't compromise that standard. And Scripture actually invites us, you know, sometimes do you ever find yourself in a spot where you think... All right, but if I tell the truth in this moment, it might hurt somebody's feelings. Do you ever find yourself in that awkward spot? Can I confess to you one time when I lied? Do I still have a job if I confess this? I just told you I have no patience for lying, right? And then I'm about to tell you that I've done that. So I have no patience for myself. I've been disgusted with myself on many occasions. But I remember once when we moved to a new area, one of the neighbors made us a cake. And... Um, and I guess there was baking soda in it or something like that in a weird portion or like a weird amount. And the cake primarily tasted like baking soda. So if you've ever used a baking soda toothpaste, it's not a great flavor. And uh, it was so nice. She made us this cake, but it was primarily a baking soda cake. And I remember taking a bite of it and being like, okay, some of the bites are good. And then some of them are like, that does not taste right. And, uh, and then a couple days later, she said, uh, how was the cake? And you know what I said? It's great. It was a great cake. It was delicious. And she's like, oh, good. And in my mind, I'm like, you are such a liar, right? You are such a liar. And so I, we wrestle with that, don't we? I mean, do you ever find yourself wrestling with that? You, you sometimes find yourself saying, all right, uh, I want to tell the truth, but I also want to spare somebody else's feelings. Well, what is scripture's advice with that? Tell the truth in love. Let your demeanor be so regularly loving and gracious toward people that you could even tell them hard things and it still comes across as love. You could tell somebody the truth in arrogance. You could tell somebody the truth with a desire to say, I told you so, or looks like I was right again, right? And neither of those is telling the truth in love. And by the way, right now, We as believers in Christ are living in a very strange time, and I have to say, I feel in general that that committed, Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christians have navigated the past couple years with a lot more sensibility than I've seen a lot of people in this world navigate the past couple years. And there are certain things that a couple years ago our family decided, and we're like, you know, I think this is the right way to approach this. A couple of years into it, we look at it and we're like, that was definitely the right way to approach it. So now the idea is we should all get on social media and say, told you so, right? Or, hey, we were right, you were wrong, right? Because that'd be loving, wouldn't it? Nope. This is an opportunity to speak the truth in love. In every context you find yourself in, if you got something right and somebody took a little while to get it right, don't be arrogant, be loving. This world's filled with arrogance, and it's filled with lies, but it shouldn't be filled with Christians who are arrogant, and it shouldn't be filled with Christians who lie. This world's suffering, and a lot—I mean, we see, you know, you're watching the news. I, I'm watching the news this week more than I want to watch the news, but when you see one country invading another country, you can't help but feel compelled to be praying for that, and I, I hope you're praying. I hope—actually praying, I had a conversation with somebody um, before the worship service. I hope you pray for everybody involved, because a lot of times what ends up happening— The people in one country and the people in another country at the mercy of their leadership. And so you look at one, you're like, all right, this group's bad and this group's good. You know what? They're kind of the same. People are people. And in many respects, they're at the mercy of the decisions their leaders are making. And then they get compelled to get involved based on decisions their leaders are making. And I look at this and I think to myself, I think I need to be praying for everybody involved and praying for anyone that looks like the bad guy because Scripture says that the Lord could turn a a leader's heart. he could just tweak it and turn a leader's heart. And Wouldn't it be great to see the Lord do that and spare many, many, many lives? I'd love to see that. I know that this earth is not going to experience ultimate peace until Christ returns, but in the meantime, I'm going to pray for peace. I'm going to pray that He comes quickly. And the type of things that come from your mouth and my mouth should be honest and authentic. And it gives us a great opportunity to testify to who Jesus is and the ways in which he transforms us. Because our old self was arrogant. Our old self, we worshipped our We weren't worshipping Christ. We were worshipping our self and our own opinions. And here Paul says, listen, put off the old self. Don't keep going back to that. You're new in Christ. Live that new life. And I love how this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today finishes up because it reminds us we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. It says, and have put on the new self. So we're putting off the old self. We're putting on the new self, meaning we're living in this new nature that we've been given through Jesus. It says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. So our thinking is being transformed. It says, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew. And by the way, isn't this such a relevant scripture for right now? You know, Ukrainian, Russian, vaccinated, unvaccinated, you know, Republican, Democrat. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Easy to read, hard to live out. Two things amaze me about being a parent. As I observe the the lives and the personalities of my kids, I have four kids. I'm amazed at the ways that they're very different from me. And I'm amazed when I see similarities and aspects of their lives that reflect my influence. I'm amazed by both. When I look at a portion of Scripture like we just read, I think the Lord's pleased when He looks at His children because He sees who we are and what He is causing us to become. He already knows the outcome as well. He knows that all believers in Christ will be transformed to be like He is. That's what the Scripture reveals to us. And in His Word... The Lord promises us that we're going to be given brand new sinless bodies that are fit for an eternity in His presence. We're told that in 1 Corinthians 15 49. But in the meantime, our understanding, our insight, and our perspective, it's all being renewed after the image of Christ. And as our faith grows and as our faith matures, we're becoming more and more like Him. We're starting to see people differently. We're starting to see circumstances differently. We're even seeing ourselves differently. And what I hope people have the opportunity to see is Jesus in us. A few years ago, I had the opportunity, I'm going to finish with this, but a few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Alamo. Do you ever go to the Alamo? Um, So I was down in San Antonio, had a chance to see the Alamo, And in there, there's a picture, and um, it's near the entrance, and it's a portrait that has this inscription. This is what it says. It says, James Butler Bonham. And then it says, no picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It's placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. So let's think about this in regard to our own faith. No literal portrait of Jesus exists, but the likeness of the Son of God can be seen in the lives of his true followers. New life, new you. Can Christ be seen in us? as we rely on him to put off the old self, and to put on the new self, that's the opportunity we're being given. And what a precious moment in time we live in, because the Lord doesn't allow any of us to be born at any given time on accident. The book of Acts, it tells us that every one of us were born when we were born and where we were born on purpose, which means that as followers of Christ, We're here on purpose at a specific time to represent Christ well in the midst of our generation. And our generation is very confused, much like all the generations that came before it. And so here we are as the ambassadors of Christ, given the opportunity to live out these things. New life, new you. Let's give people a portrait of Jesus in the lives that we live, in the words that we speak, and in the way we conduct ourselves in the midst of a world that actually is searching desperately for hope right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to carve out some time to look at it and to be able to start our week off looking at things that that are counterintuitive to how we would naturally think. Naturally speaking, we would choose to get angry or we would choose to assert ourselves in in a way that might demean somebody else. Naturally speaking, we would seek to, to gratify the desires of our old nature. But supernaturally speaking, you've transformed our thinking. You've given us a brand new life. We're not just improved versions of our old selves, we're a brand new person. You've made us new. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. And Father, we know that we have the privilege in the midst of the relationships you've given us, in the midst of the generation that we live in the midst of, to represent your Son, to give this world a portrait of Christ as they observe our lives. And Lord, you you promise that you're going to be with us in the midst of this. And your word explains to us the ways in which you're strengthening us, the ways in which you're changing us, the ways in which you're helping us to live a life that is so different from what we were living before. Lord, we live in the midst of a world that right now is searching for hope in all kinds of directions. It's very, very confused. Some think that their hope will be obtained through force. Some think hope will be obtained through acquisition. Some think hope will be attained through... Uh, worldly possessions or worldly goods or worldly prestige. But we know that all of those things can be taken away. And since every one of those things can be taken away, they are not where lasting hope can be found. But you show us in your word that lasting hope is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that you've enabled our ears to hear that truth. And I pray, Lord... As you know all our hearts, you know whether we're close to you right now in this moment or whether we're distant from you, we pray that you'd make us all close to you, that you'd draw us unto yourself, that you'd help us to have an understanding of what it means to be men and women who truly trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and who walk by faith in the midst of everything that we go through. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that you're present with us and that that you facilitate this kind of transformation because it's not something that could be naturally done. It is a miracle. It is evidence of your hand at work in the lives of your children. So, Lord, again, we're thankful for this reminder from your Word today. Thank you for giving us a new life. Thank you for giving us a new identity. Thank you for making us new people. And, Lord, in the brief sojourn we have on this planet, we pray that we give this world a really, really good glimpse of your heart as you demonstrate your power at work within us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.